Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Fox play-by-play guy and host of the Clubhouse Podcast, Shane Bacon. Before we get into our discussion, I'd like to ask you all to head over to our brand new YouTube page. It's under The Fried Egg, and uh, be sure to check out our latest videos. Now, without further ado, here's Bacon and The Fried Egg. The fried egg requires a different technique. What you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green. Here's the thing. Playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice, clean lie in a greenside bunker. You need to be aggressive on any shot, whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a uh, fried egg. Well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. Not to be feared, though, it's actually a pretty easy shot to hit. So you're the uh, you're the original gangster golf blogger. Oh, I, I like that. Um, I don't think a lot I, of people uh, know that. Well, I mean, it's like there was, I mean, Ryan Ballinger was kind of an OG um there was this thing called the sand trap um i'm trying to think of some other uh golf blogs that were kind of hackers around. paradise yeah, uh, hackers paradise was around um we had uh stephanie way came around a- after a little bit of me kind of rocking and rolling but yeah i was uh i i actually had a buddy of mine my buddy andrew um when we got out of college i wrote for the student newspaper and he was like yo man you should like write now on the internet and I was like, all right. I actually wrote uh, major championship previews for Deadspin back in the Will Leach days, um, uh, which is pretty OG. Uh, I think I wrote some stuff for like Sports by Brooks, too. But I hope that there's no archives for that because I would hate to see what it looked like. Was that Brooks Kepka's, uh publication? Yeah. yeah he's, that was like <laughs> like before he realized his potential, um, he had this great blog. Um, and uh, and it was awesome. It was it was it was a must read. Um, but uh yeah, yeah, that was uh, that, those are those are the days, man. I had a desk in my bedroom. It was so nice. That's where I, that's where all the magic happened. <laughs> you you literally woke up and you know instead of a basement, <laughs> instead of your parents' basement, it was just a one bedroom office uh, sleeping quarters. <laughs> the uh, the ground in Phoenix is too hard to dig down to, so they just instead of having the basement, I just had a an attached uh, an attached uh, desk in my in my room. Actually, my my buddy, same buddy, Andrew, the one that I was telling you, complained. Uh, him and I were living together, and he gave me the bigger bedroom because he was like, you're the loser that stays at home and writes all the time, so you can have the bigger room. I was like, thank you, sir. When uh, when you're writing and when you were just blogging and doing this for all these different sites, when did you know that you were kind of like set and locked in for with golf for the rest of your life? Man, the rest of my life. Don't say that. Um, eh, well, I, uh, you probably you might move on to bigger and better things. But. No, no, no. I, I you know, um, I wrote uh, when I first got my job with uh, AOL Fan House. Um, I wrote um, almost every sport. I didn't write a lot of baseball, um, but I wrote. Uh, it was kind of one of those things when stuff came across the wire, which I know that sounds like a super old term, but you know, like when 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 Tiger did something or some breaking news came out about this, uh, basically it was kind of the it was first person to email our listserv um i hey i got this story got it um and and if you got a a really popular post you actually got a little bit of bonus so dude i would just sit around all the time um and and just kind of be around the computer just uh 
just looking. So, I mean, NFL stories, all that stuff. But I knew uh, I knew fairly on that, that golf was probably the best avenue just because I felt like I knew it the best. And um, I had kind of some cool opportunities throughout uh, throughout my life within the game that I don't think a lot of people have. So, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to do it. And, um, and so I gradually kind of navigated over there. And then when I got a chance to kind of write for the Yahoo blog and then eventually edit it and go to CBSI on golf, um, that was kind of when I realized that this was probably the sport that I should focus most of my attention on because it seemed to be the one that was uh, that 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 kind of I don't know people listen to me about I don't know if that makes sense they kind of yeah. listen to me about it I don't know I mean I I still get people that call me Sean I got called Sean twice on air this year Sean Bacon twice that's I was hosting hey, a- it's, go back to Sean I was like that's eh, close enough well they didn't even know Brooks Kepko's name during the <laughs> final round so. <laughs> don't feel bad. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but uh, he's yeah, just so, won I mean, two major championships. You you know what though? You no, know, there's three. there's a level of kind of being like I'm kind of okay with people maybe not knowing my name like that. You know, like I see these really famous people. Not to say like I'm gonna ever be famous or even on that path, but like I see famous people, and the fame thing is so weird that like it's kind of nice when like somebody you're working with says your name wrong. You're like, nice. I'm just, you know, it's, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I think like I've always wished like if I became famous that I was like the level of fame of like, you know, like a middle of the road baseball player, like yeah. a guy that can just walk around completely unnoticed, but is like really good at what he does, but not super famous. Um, you know, my, my Facebook profile, um, since I was like out of college. Um, and again, this has now become a little bit more of like a, like a popular opinion, but my Facebook profile for probably 15 years says, um, I want to have the career of Charles Howell the yeah. third, because it's like, he can do anything he wants anywhere he wants at any time. And he could also go eat down the street at like flower child in Phoenix. And nobody's going to bother the guy. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the life. It's not yeah. when you're out at dinner and everybody's walking up to you asking for your autograph. That's not the best life. Best right. life is being able to live in anonymity, you know. Um, and, but then, like, have have a little success. It's like you. I mean, Charles Howe the Third's career has been massively successful by my standard. You know, I know people wish you won more, but that's an unbelievable career in life. And um, you know, he can go to Starbucks, and they're probably going to write you know, something different on his cup. And that's good. That's, that's the life. You that's, want the Starbucks barista to screw up your name like 80% of the time, you know, because they're not going to screw up. Jordan Spieth hadn't got anything but Jordan on a Starbucks cup in a long time, if ever, you know, mm-hmm. um, they're probably not going to mess up Tiger very much. But, you know, if, if you're, uh, you know, Bubba Dickerson probably gets that messed up every now and again, shout Bubba. out to the USA Amateur champion. Oh, and Western Am, same year. Did he really win them both in the same year? I, I'm almost, I'm almost positive. I thought I was, I was all in, you know, on Bubba Dickerson Island. You know, that was a, that was a very bad property purchase. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go well. So, you know, in in the in the sports world, besides baseball, to know that in the last twenty years we've had two successful Bubbas, and I'll say Bubba Dickerson is successful because he won the amateur. Um, that's that's probably not going to happen a ton in most uh, in most professional outlets. I feel like football, you could have some bubbas. <laughs> Two offensive linemen bubbas. 
I don't know. Yeah, I could see offensive linemen exactly like. But I I don't think many other sports like basketball. There there's not going to be many Bubba's playing. Um, let's see here. Let's see. I'm, now I'm looking up Bubba Dickerson. Um, Bubba, he won the one yeah. USAM. Um, he won the one Westernam. Way to go! I'm very impressed. See, this is why you're you. I you remember that. <laughs> I know. I remember all this useless crap, but then I can't remember to like you know clean my clothes up. My wife <laughs> drives my wife crazy. So. Um, <laughs> When, uh, when do you, you know, so you're in the industry, you're, you're blogging. When do you think that, uh, broadcasting was a possible avenue? Well, I always wanted to broadcast. Um, the issue being that I'd never really done it. Um, you know, a lot of people go to school and, you know, spend four years doing that. I, uh, when I got to school, I wrote and, uh, that was my main focus. And I wrote for the student newspaper. So were you a journalism uh, so, major? You know, what's up? Were- yeah. Journalism major in, um, and, you know, it was funny. I was, I had all these plans to do all this broadcasting internship stuff. And, um, and I just fell in love with the writing side of it. I love the grind. I love the hustle. Um, I love the, um, you're interviewing the head coach for the football team and the journalist, the, the print journalist, you know, are sitting around for, for 45 minutes because they've got to get all this stuff and the TV people need one soundbite. And I love the hustle of the writing side. So I didn't do any really broadcasting in, in college outside of an internship um, at NBC. And, um, but I always had this dream of it. And I remember I did a couple things. I did this thing at the rodeo in Vegas. Please, God, I hope it's not on the internet. I, um, hope it I is. did this thing for the rodeo for AOL, I think. And I mean, if you watch that, it, I mean, it, I had to have been the most uncomfortable human on the planet in front of the camera. <laughs> Uh, it was, it's just awful. I did a thing on this new 17th tee at St. Andrews. I had like my dad hold the video camera, um, years ago and it was awful. And so I obviously needed to, to kind of improve. And I had a couple opportunities come to me the same year from, um, from a couple of, from golf channel and, um, from this startup and back my network. And they kind of came to me and I had a couple auditions and, um, yeah, I, I got this job and I, you know, it was so weird. I mean, you know, to take a chance, you know, if you think back on it, taking a chance on somebody like me was silly. I mean, it was, there's, I mean, there's no reason to, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, I, I'd never really read a teleprompter before. I, no, uh, but no bad habits though. You know, I had, I, I had this weird lip thing for a while, um, where I would lick my lips a lot. Uh, and it drove me crazy, it drove my wife really crazy. So, um, you know, there's stuff like that that you've got to break, but, yeah, it was, it was nice. I mean, I, I, I had the opportunity. I mean, it, you know, you think back on opportunities in your life that are, that, that work out in your favor and, um, getting this chance at this place that, that only lasted whatever four months. I mean, I got to talk about golf for an hour a day, every day. And I was kind of like the voice of the show. Plus I got a chance to go on their other shows with guys like John McGinnis and Jeff Rude and, um, you know, real golf people, you know, guys that like have been in the industry playing or writing for decades and, uh, and they'd ask me to come on the show once a week or twice a week. And, you know, I mean, I, I know everybody talks about reps. I know that you, you talk about reps with your podcast. You and I've had this conversation before. It's like going back and listening to one of your first podcasts, you know, the reps are real. I mean, you know, hitting range balls is real. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, that was, that was kind of where it went. And then opportunity presents itself with, uh, with Fox, the moment kind of back nine, um, ceased to exist and Fox picks this thing up. And luckily I'm in the Northeast and luckily Mark Loomis, lives an hour and a half away and uh, we just so happen to go play golf one day and you know that kind of stuff falls in your lap so 
you know, it's, you know, now when you kind of even the way I say it, you know, when you think about circumstances um, in the, uh, in kind of the walk through the life thing, it is, it is nuts how certain things like kind of almost, you know, work together in tandem, you know? Yeah. I mean, half of it's like, it's just that timing of luck and uh, opportunities. You know, and being For in the sure. right place at the right time is just so. Yeah, huge. And your 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 example of this too. I mean, you know, I I know you're one of my favorite people in golf. I mean, I know you know that, but you know, if you come around five years later, you know, there might be somebody that you know architecture talk is already you know blown up. I'd say, and I'm sure you're part of it um, to a certain extent. But you know, if you come around five years later, or so you're five years younger, or something like that, you know, there might have been some guy that starts this whole talk about it. And, um, and you've got to kind of like find your, uh, find the crease in that conversation. And, and yet, you know, you come around a time where people want to talk about golf courses. People realize that golf courses don't have to be this name to be cool. And, um, and you have this kind of audience that loves listening to that point, you know, like me. And, um, it's opened my eyes to it too. You know, that, that's something that's so funny to me is like, like a Yeman's Hall that uh, I had a very lucky opportunity to go play, you know, a place like that, I might not even know what it was, you know, six or seven years ago before I kind of cared about looking a little bit deeper into the story. So yeah, that's how it works. And, you know, that's what worked for me. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been awesome to do the USGA stuff because you don't just have to talk about one tour. And that I think is something that we all really like is that every single week that we have, we've got a completely different group of people to talk about and maybe, a billion people aren't watching like they're going to watch the U S open, but that's okay. You know, I mean, our job is just to talk about it. You know, our job isn't to go find people to come watch the U S junior amateur, but we like talking about the U S junior amateur because it's these young kids that one day we're probably going to see at a different level. So do you, that's, what's been cool about what we do. Do you feel like, um, I never had thought about this, but do you, do you guys tailor the broadcast differently for the U S open knowing that you have, you know, millions of casual fans versus say like the u.s senior women's open where you know like only diehard fans are watching yeah a little bit i mean you know i don't want to speak for our producer and and, and joe and, and zinger and those guys you know but i would say that uh there was a lot of people on friday afternoon of the u.s open that were complaining on social media about our coverage because we were showing too much tiger and it's one of those things like we're going to show Tiger's round on a Friday, you know, with Tiger playing on a U.S. Open for the first time and actually having a chance to be competitive. Granted, he wasn't competitive at that U.S. Open because he made a triple on the first hole. But, you know, for him to be healthy and have a chance to win events headed in and to be this big story coming in and the group he was playing with, you know, that was going to be the story we were going to tell on a Friday. You know, we're not going to spend that much time on a Sunday if he'd have made a cut because the focus in the story there is about the person that's winning. But, you know, on Friday, I mean, we've got, we've got casual sports fans that are tuning in to see Tiger Woods play. And, you know, with not many storylines happening at that time, you know, that's the way we're going to go down. And if that, you know, if a diehard golf person wants to see, you know, Eduardo, you know, Molinari play a hole, it's like, you know, I mean, I I hate to do this to you on a Friday, but you're just going to have to wait around for the weekend because that's when you're going to have a chance to see that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I see it because I've got uh, all my college buddies are like non golfers. They're golfers, but they're very, 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 very casual golfers. And like our group texts, like I only get texts about golf when Tiger's in the hunt. (laughs) Exactly. Like, and they're like, what do you think? Do you think he's going to win? And it's like, 
you know, like that makes me realize like how like it gets you out of the bubble that you live in as a diehard golf fan or covering golf. And it's so important to have the perspective of like, hey, like this is really important for the majority of our audience because like, you know, that's the that's the majority of those that U.S. Open Friday is, I mean, you get it's a chance to expose so many people to the game. Right. And it's and it's prime time and it's, you know, outside New York and it's on this. It's kind of the only, it was the only, I mean, with the World Cup uh, not yet starting and with the NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs being done, you know, we were the, we were the game that week. You know, we were the sports game and, uh, and you're like, you know, people are going to turn on something that night. And if you're a sports fan and you see golf live, you know, on Fox, it's like, I'm going to turn this on and Tiger Woods is there. You're not going to turn it off, you know? So, I mean, there, there's definitely a business component to that stuff and there's definitely a, a level of showcasing those types of players at those times. And um, as you said, I mean, when we get to the women's senior or the, you know, girls junior or the boys junior, you know, we're going to show the golf that's happening in the competitive matches. It's funny, you know, I, we had a, it was, it was at the U S amateur. Yeah. It was the U S amateur last week. And um, you know, you know, we only have so many cameras and we only have so much uh, staff out there for these events um, because people might not know this, but um, to put on a golf telecast, it actually costs money. And so I, I didn't one, know that. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> um, and th- there was one match at the end that we weren't showing at all early. Um, and there were people on Twitter that were kind of, and there was like two people on Twitter that were complaining to us about it. But, you know, I mean, I get it if, if it's your friend or your buddy out there playing and we want to showcase everybody. And we're going to eventually get to that because we have a window. Where we're going to have to show these matches and it's going to be, if it's the last match out, it's going to be the one that fills. But it's just so funny. Some of the times you get the people that complain about certain stuff. And you're like, we're showing commercial free coverage of the U.S. Amateur from Pebble with some of these camera angles that nobody's ever seen. Yet they're still going, why are you not showing this match? <laughs> like, sorry, man. I mean, Cole Hammer's playing. You know, Cole Hammer's like this next, what we expect to be kind of the next, you know, big thing in young American golf. It's like if he's playing a match and he's playing well, we're probably going to show a lot of his match. That kid, uh, something else, huh? I mean, just that match, that semifinal match, um, and I had I had the 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 U.S. Amateur champion on uh, on my podcast, uh, but you know, chatting with him a little bit about that that match between those two, uh, Victor and Cole, uh, that was as good a golf as I've seen this year. I mean, they were playing unbelievable, and they were making putts on top of each other. And you know, Cole Hammer hung in there, and Victor Hovland birdies his last five holes. You know, I mean, it's it's just a reminder to people, as I always say. Uh, these amateurs are amateur by word only, you know, with how much they practice and every all the technology they have around themselves. They've got the ability to go out there and, and fire numbers. I mean, you look at any, Braden Thornberry, who, you know, nearly wins, you know, a PJ Tour event. I mean, there's these guys out there that that are, are really, really close to being on that level, if not already to that level. And they're going to get to that level quickly the moment they turn professional. And it's just a big, big difference than what golf looked like 10 years ago. I mean, look at Neiman. He's he's right. 19. He should be a freshman in college. And he's unbelievable professionally. Yeah. It's just stupid. It's, it's, there's a level of confidence. And, and I wonder, I'd love to know if college coaches teach confidence in a different way or if they push confidence in a different way these days than maybe what they used to. Um, you know, I mean, you hear Paul Azinger talk a lot about the way he, he played when he was, you know, in college and how he, he always says he couldn't break 77. But, you know, this is a guy that, that was one of the best players in the world for a long time. And, um, you know, that's not the case now. I mean, if you're in college and you're shooting, if you're in college and you're shooting 75, 
you know, you're probably not going to make the team ever, you know, and, and, and that's just how that goes until you figure it out. So I just wonder if there's a different conversation and a different dialogue with the coaches now to say, you know, you've got to be great now. Like you can't be good. You've got to be great now because that's what it's going to take. It's, it's crazy. Cause you see it. I see it on like a, like a state level, like these kids and what's happened with like amateur golf at like, if you don't shoot, like, I remember when I was in college, like if I shot 77, I was in the state amp, you know? Right. And nowadays it's like, if you, you got to shoot even par or better to get into the state amp, you know? And, and there's so many kids that are so good. And, I mean, I played golf with a kid that's going to Illinois next year, you know, at his USAM qualifier, he shot 10 under over two rounds. And I'm just <laughs> like, I, I don't have 10. I never right, had right. 10 under in the back. And this kid has it at 18. No, it's 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 silly, and, and and it's only getting younger. I always say um, when I play in those U.S. Amateur qualifiers, U.S. Open qualifiers, whatever, and um, you know I'm, I live in Arizona, so a lot of ASU kids, or if I'm down in Tucson, a lot of U of A kids, and they all hang around after, not because they want to see what their friends shot or their teammates what they shot, but it's because they know their teammates shot something good enough to at least be in the conversation. And they're just waiting to see what that number is. That's what's crazy. It's it's not hey, would you shoot? Hey, how'd you play? It's it's, you know, how low was it? Was it four? Was it five? It's, it's, it's an expectation to go out there and do it. And I think that's why you're seeing so many amateurs in these events. You know, I mean, there's what were there, 19 amateurs or 29 amateurs at the U.S. Open. It was crazy how many of those guys there were. And they get there expecting to do well. You know, it's not just to show up and get your uh, pinned in and, and walk around between the ropes and smile at fans. I mean, they're there expecting to make the weekend and to play well enough to get in the conversation. And I said it this year and it was wrong, but I'll tell you this. We are going to get to a place at some point where I truly believe an amateur is going to be at least not maybe in the hunt come the weekend, but I could see you know, a top 10 or a couple of amateurs in the top 10 in the coming years because the confidence level just continues to soar. I've, I've kind of been waiting for an amateur win at like the professional level. Um, you know, A couple of years ago, we had Paul Dunn in the final group of the Open. Um, then we had Morikawa was in a playoff on a web tour and Thornberry, Sam Burns was ahead of top 10, both those guys, you know, like it's, it's just a matter of time before one of these kids wins one of these things. Did, didn't Summer Hayes win something as an amateur? I think he did. He won something? a web. Yeah. He yeah did. I mean, That's it, a good I'm, I'm with you, but it's, you know, what's funny is I'm reading the match right now. Um, and I'd never read it before. Yeah, somebody and, wanted to know what took you so long. That's a question yeah, oh, yeah. from Mike McGee. People that were not happy about that, <laughs> and I'm like, listen, sorry, I just, I mean, I've just never got around to reading it. And um, and I'm reading it right now, and it's funny, you know, the dialogue about the amateur golfer in that book. Of course, um, you know, this is happening in the in the, in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Um, but the dialogue around the idea of the amateur was this gentleman game. And it's it's turning. It's not because am, the golf's going back to this gentleman level of I'm going to be an amateur golfer because it's you know you can make more money there. For goodness sakes, we know that's not true. But <laughs> I do. Not. I, I'm very interested in the amateur competing in these events again because I truly think there's a chance that this could be a thing. I mean, what do you think? You know, the the, the USGA would do and um, the Buddy Maruchis of the world would do if we had an amateur in the final group of the US Open. I mean it would be unbelievable. I mean it would be it would it would almost it would make you know kind of their decision for all these years it would it would make it almost kind of like worth the wait to see if this could happen because I truly think it could. I I think we could see an amateur maybe not win, but I could definitely see an amateur compete. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, look at, I mean, like Cole Hammer is a perfect example. You know, he's uh, Texas, you know, he's kind of like the next phenom for Texas after they had, you know, Spieth was the young phenom and then they had Hostler who was, you know, Hostler's like a good example of that because he was in contention at that U.S. Open at Olympic Club. Right. It's, so, I mean, it's a matter of time. I, I mean, it's the the whole amateur game has changed. It's it's a fascinating thing with like mid-ams and, and ams and, and like, I think the gap between, you know, the mid-am and the, and the regular am, which is now college kids and, and high schoolers, is getting wider than ever. I absolutely agree. I mean, it's like I, I love trying to do the USA amateur qualifying, but it's like, like, I mean, God, what, what, what are you doing out there with those guys? Come on. Like, it is a waste of my time. It's like I get out there and I, I shoot, like you said, I shoot a, a great round of 76. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, see you guys. Nice 64. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like 72, 70 is I remember that even like four years ago, I had, I had a good USAM where I, I missed by like a shot and it I shot, I think I want to say shot 73, 71, you know? Okay. And, and it's like nowadays that's like, just like pack up your bags. You got no chance. Right. You know? <laughs> You're like yeah. trunk slamming. I mean, the kids are trunk slamming at that. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like five years ago. You know? Uber slamming. They're yeah. Uber slamming. They'll get out of there. Yeah. yeah. So um, in, in terms of uh, amateur golf, you, you know, it seems like you had a great time at the AM. Do you, do you think more amateur golf coverage is coming? I would like to see it. You know, the, the golf channel, I mean, I, I, you know, for us, I mean, obviously we do quite a bit of amateur golf. I, I am actually surprised the golf channel doesn't do more of it. I mean, I'm surprised the, the Western AM's not televised. Um, I'm surprised I, I'd be, I would, I don't understand why there's not. And I mean, do, do, the, do they call them amateur majors? I mean, can we talk about what a yeah. major would be in amateur golf, but there's, you know, there's four or five events that you could do the coverage from start to finish and kudos to golf channel on the collegiate coverage. They do a great job with that. And I just feel like, why wouldn't you do this? Because you know, the U S amateur is my favorite event we cover all year. I mean, and, and it's not even close. I mean, both the women's and the U.S. Amateur, the storylines, the play, um, the names that come out of it, the names you remember, the guys you see when they're 14 and 15 that get through that eventually are 18 and, and are competing. Um, you know, you think about our first U.S. Open. Cole Hammer's a 15-year-old US, U.S. Open, gets into that, and, and now he's the favorite coming into the U.S. Amateur, and he's a co-medalist. You know, I love watching and walking those storylines through year after year, and um I don't see how passionate golf people wouldn't be in, into that. I mean, again, you know, there's budgets for television stuff and live events, live golf is the biggest budget of any sport because there's so many cameras you need on different places. But I'd watch the Western Am. I mean, you'd watch the Western Am. I'd be glued to it. You yeah. know, I mean, it, this would be must-watch TV for me. And with the with the way the PGA Tour is going to, to the passionate golf fan and the level of kind of intrigue that comes with the PJ tour or lack thereof. I mean, I think we're going to be looking for more golf to watch on TV. And to me, amateur golf makes the most sense. It, it I feel like they could do low budget, um, telecast too. Like we saw it when the guys were on strike this year at, uh, right. was it Sony? Like they really only need a couple cameras to do it effectively. You know? Yeah. Well, you, yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah. I mean, I guess you're right. Like to see it. Sure. I mean, 
you'd be hard pressed to find somebody in TV that would that would be willing to kind of take the we're going to do a low budget approach to it. But you know, you you do the back nine of the western. I mean, you know, you don't have to have as many cameras. It's almost like the Masters in the old days. Um, I think if that happened, inevitably, more invites would come for that stuff. You know, that's something I always wish would happen. I wish there was more more invites to things for these guys that win these huge events because these huge events are very, very hard to win. You know, the Western Am is, in my opinion, the hardest event in the world to win, professional or amateur or otherwise. And um, you should get invited to this big stuff if you win that thing. It's crazy. You know? I, it's I, like, I don't understand You should get into the U.S. They're... Open and the Masters and the PJ Championship. Like, that should be an honor to come with it. And I feel like if the TV, if TV followed that, maybe there'd be a better chance of that happening. Yeah, it it would be cool. I think with uh, I, I think it's we're gonna see more of it in the future. It would be you know there's like I don't know the Pacific Coast Am's always a big one. You know the Sunny Anna. Um, you know there's there's North South like there there are a lot of really cool events. And these kids are so good. That's the the thing. You know you like I watched the Western Am. I didn't go this year. I had a bunch of stuff, but the year before, you know, and these guys go around and shoot like sixty three at Skokie in chicago right. which is like i'm like i, I 63 is like not what i expected oh you know yeah, it's it's like, it's, a, it, it's a joke but no i you know again the, you know i i love being a part of something like the u.s open because it's the u.s open but you know for me to, to to get a chance to do these you know quote-unquote lower level events at the u.s junior or the the curtis cup things like that you know the passion in those events the passion of the golf and the passion of the win and it's simply being a match win, you know, winning a match and moving on. You know, the passion there is what, to me, you and I's golf's like. Now, the golf's better. But if I'm playing you for a $10 Nassau, we're not really playing for the money. You know, no. we're really playing for to the win. win. Yeah. It's like and, uh, it, yeah, pick it's, up basketball. It's like why it, you get pissed exactly, when you lose pick up exactly. basketball. <laughs> it's the competitiveness. Um, it, it, in terms of what do you think the – you you do the PGA Tour live stuff, so you're around the the tour pros. What what do you think the biggest difference between the top AMs and the your regular Joe Schmo uh, tour player? Say your Billy Horschel. Um, it's probably putting, um, and it's probably um, course management. I would say. I mean, there's not a ton of course management even on the PGA Tour anymore, but there's still a little bit of it. You know, I mean, I mean, I know Brooks Kepka doesn't really do that, but you know, there, there is a level of understanding when to attack and when not to. And, um, and I think you still see amateurs at times in big pressure moments, maybe make a decision they shouldn't have made because they think they've got to win that hole. And that's the last time, you know, what's funny is, is I saw a lot of that with putting this week or excuse me, this, this past week with Pebble beach was, I saw a lot in on the greens when a guy's two down or three down with five to go and it's a birdie putt. And they gas it 12 feet by because they think they have to make the birdie putt, not thinking to themselves, if I three putt this, I'm oh, it's over. You know, even if I don't make this birdie putt and I've got a couple holes to go, I could pull something off. That's a, um, that, that's yeah. a fascinating thing that I think I like. I always think about like how I've learned about stuff like as I get older, like I'm so much smarter now. I'm not nearly as good as I used to be, but I'm way better, if that makes sense. Right. And like one of the things people will be like, well, like, Hey, you know, if I'm playing a, a two man game, they'll be like this, this putt, if it doesn't go in, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, and I say back, I'm like, it's going in the same speed 
as if it was going to go in if this if the next putt really mattered. Like I don't believe in this whole making putts. Like you hit it harder to make it. Like just hit the putt the same speed you'd usually hit it. You know. Absolutely. You know that's something uh, that I do, and I've done poorly in uh, in especially best ball qualifiers. Uh, my buddy Ashton Woods and I have yet to qualify for the four ball. I think we missed out by a shot a couple years ago. But um, I, I tend, I feel like I have at times um, felt like these putts are do or die when I'm the guy hitting a birdie putt. And if I was playing just by myself, I wouldn't do that. So I've almost started to try to approach those types of things, a two-man thing in particular, um, just trying to play golf on my own, thinking that it's you know the, it's exactly what it'd be like if it was a stroke play event because – there's so much pressure. Oh my God, I'm, I'm the last one with the birdie putt. Well, I've got to make it. You know, and you're like, well, yeah, but I mean, you want to make every putt you hit, don't you? So why wouldn't you just roll yeah. the same way? You're, you're I, trying I, to I'm make right every putt. You. <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. I mean, you're trying to make, you're trying to make every putt or that that's makeable, right? I mean, there's yeah. definitely putts you, you know, you're not, that aren't a, a realistic opportunity, but yeah, you're trying to make every putt. So hit it, hit it to make it, but also hit it knowing that, um, you know, it's it's got to go in, as you said, with a certain speed. You're not just taking the breakout and gas in a 10-foot. You know, I heard uh, somebody told me that they their trick for the two the best ball tournaments is they play a match against each other. What's that, Andy? Sorry, say that again. Uh, I, I heard this trick. Uh, this guy told me he's, he's had a ton of success in, in two-man tournaments, and him and his partner play matches against each other interesting so internally between the two they play they, against they have like, like that, they actually. have a, that probably would work for me they have like a betting game between the two of them during while they're playing together in a tournament so the I mean, other I mean, each other are just trying to beat the shit out of each other the whole time yeah I, I mean it's probably so smart i mean and then you get done and you go we either qualified or we didn't but we had fun doing it there's yeah the idea of that is it, it gets uh the, the pressure can the pressure can make you play golf a way you'd never play golf. And it's, it, that's the big difference in people that can do it and people that can't, you know? Yeah. It's all, it's all comfort. It's, that's the thing. It's like the pressure makes you uncomfortable and uncomfortable is when people just do bad. It's, that's the, that's the trick to tournament golf is getting comfortable. Um, I mean, I, I, there's been plenty of times where I'm not comfortable and the scores absolutely reflect it. Yeah. It's awful. It's nothing worse than when you're on the first tee and you know you're not ready to play in the tournament. <laughs> um, so uh, what was your uh, favorite course to cover uh, this year on the USGA circuit? And what was your favorite course that you played, either USGA or non-USGA course? Um, I'm not saying this just because I'm talking to you. I mean, I think covering Chicago golf, getting a chance to see it for a first time, um, getting a chance to show it uh, with the cameras we had, and allow people kind of a glimpse into that place. I think, you know, there's probably two or three places in the country that maybe are, are as exclusive in the sense of eyeballs on it than Chicago golf. So um, I think mixing that with the fact that it was a first USGA championship and you were a part of that, um, that was pretty special. I, I, I felt like our team um, kind of approached it that way. You know, they went into it knowing, you know, this is, this is going to be, the, you know, there's not many first USGA championships. Uh, and to get it to get to do it on Chicago golf, and then uh, my favorite course I played uh, on the road. You know, I played didn't play a ton of golf this year. Uh, last year we played golf all the time. It was crazy. I mean, our, we played Prairie Dunes twice uh, one week uh, last year. We played uh, Myopia and Essex and all these crazy places. 
Um, this year didn't play a ton of golf. I, I did get a chance to play Fishers during media day. Um, and I think, you know, just in a sense of a day and an experience, that was probably the best. Uh, just because, you know, there's, you know, there's going to play an elite level golf course that's in elite level condition. Um, Fishers is not going to be an elite level condition just because it's just, that's just not what it is. You know, it's, it's in, it's in good condition and it's a piece of property that I always wanted to see. And, um, you know, I, I, we did the whole thing. We did the ferry and the boat and the driving. And so it's an entire day to go see this kind of gem of a golf course. So that was probably my favorite. Uh, I, I had a hell of a good time doing that. And then, um, you know, I mean, I got, I got to play, you know, I got to play national and Cyprus, you know, I mean, these are two of the best golf courses in the country. And, um, so, I mean, you kind of take your pick on those. I, I almost feel like they're kind of similar, you know, they're, they're small, <clears throat> smaller ballparks next to these championship golf courses that host championship events. Yet they're the ones that everybody tries to get on, you know, everybody wants to get on national and everybody wants to get on Cyprus over playing a, a pebble. And so, um, you know, that, that's, you know, people, I had a friend ask me, is, is Cyprus your favorite course you ever played? And, um, you know, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what my favorite course is. Um, I know what my favorite experiences were. And, um, and I almost vote, vote it and rate it more on that. You know, the experiences of, of the people you're with and how much they're into it and how fun you're having and how much you're taking in the course. You know, how often are you pulling out a camera? I think is something that, is, that I've really started to be cognizant of. And I know with you and I's jobs and with plenty of people around, um, that's part of it. Um, so one of my kind of rules is like, I, I try to pull, I try not to look at my, or pull my phone or camera out at least on the entire front nine. Um, because I know it's, you know, we live in a world where we have to kind of post this stuff, but I don't want to be on that. You know, I want to be breathing in and looking around and, and enjoying the experience. So my new you know, thing is like, I love the places that are like the strictest about no cell phones. I actually right. like, I love when I leave my, my phone in my car like, and it's just gone and I just get to play golf, you know, that's, it's funny how it, it's changed how golf isn't like just pure golf like it used to be. It, well, and, and, but it, you know, the thing again is, you know, for me, um, you know, I've kind of got to, got to post the golf that I play because it's part of what yeah. we do. Yeah. And I have, I'm with you. I've kind of gone 180 on it. I mean, I, I don't, I hate, I hate, I hate interrupting a moment of a round at a place like Cyprus to take a picture, even though I want to take pictures because every hole's awesome, you know? So, you know, I want to have my phone out the entire time, but I, I won't, and I don't need to because, you know, when, when, when freaking Ben Hogan was walking around Cypress point, he wasn't taking pictures, you know, and he could remember every hole and every step and every bump on every green because he was taking it in with di different sensory details. And so like, you know, for me, it's, it's reminding myself that a picture doesn't define the fact that I was there. You know, I don't need a picture to say I played Cypress point. I played Cypress point because I played Cypress point and there'll be moments from that round that I'll remember the rest of my life. And, uh, and so I'm trying, I'm with you. I'm really, really trying to be on my phone, if at all, maybe one or two holes to take a picture or two and then put it back away. Yeah. Um, so with uh, with Pebble uh, and next year having the U.S. Open, do you expect to see much changes to the course uh, from USAM to, to U.S. Open? And uh, how, how helpful was it to get to call it? there and then have it there next year 
it, it, the rough will be higher and the rough will be thicker. Um, it'll, it'll play a little bit different um, just in the sense of scheduling. Um, it was dry this week. I mean, they hadn't had rain since April. Um, so it was dried and, and pretty firm and the greens were firm. Um, I'm hoping you see a little bit about that. We'll have, we'll, I think we'll have more. Um, I think the winds will be more swirly when we're there. We didn't get a ton of wind um, during the, the few days there at Pebble. But I would say the rough's up. Having an opportunity to be there and cover it and get a feel for the way people play certain holes and certain shots and tees they might play certain days, I mean, it's impossible to, to, to explain how beneficial that is for us. I mean, it's it's crazy good. I mean, we know where the booth is. Like, we know where the booth's going to be. Um, you know, we know where these amateur kids – where these kids are hitting their driver on 18 – I mean, you'll never, you'll never in, in 50 years of watching, uh, the AT&T, you'll never see drives where these kids were on 18 just because it's a different time of year. I mean, they were 30 past the tree, 40 past the tree, hitting, hitting six irons and 18 green. I mean, um, so it'll be interesting to see if it plays a little like that in June, like it did, you know, in August. So, uh, but you know, I, I think we'll see it. I think we'll see it play somewhat similar in the sense of, scoring because with the winds down pebbles gettable and with the winds up it, it plays really difficult yeah yeah I, and th- those greens are so small too it's just it's crazy how tough that place is for that's a, a great example of a course defending par despite like without yardage yeah absolutely it's not a long golf course by yeah. any stretch of the imagination but if you put yourself in one weird spot you know if you put yourself left on nine or ten it's you're you're scrambling to save par despite having a nine iron in your hand. Yeah, this is the thing too is like the uneven lies out there. Like that, you know, you rarely have like a flat lie. It's something I've noticed. I play less and less golf now, and I like I I actually play like par threes exceptionally well. And I thought about it the other day. I was like, well, it's because it's like a dead flat lie every time. You know, and it's like it gets so much harder when the ball's like above or below your feet. And, you know, you have like it's so weird how that little difference makes it. But that that at the pro level is like everything. If it's everything's flat, it's just target practice for these guys. Yeah, it's like when it's it's like when it's soft. You know what? I want to say this about Pebble. I used to talk a little bit of trash about one like everybody did. And, you know, two when it's a par five is, is kind of a gettable kind of a whatever par five. Pebble's awesome. It is awesome. There are like, it is, it is such an awesome walk around and the views and the, and the par threes, you know, the, the, the kind of the different par threes you play and the shots you play. You know, I, I hadn't been there in a while. I mean, I haven't been to Pebble probably in six or seven years. And uh, I just walking around that place and driving around, you just, you just forget how, how strategic 15 and 16 are. You know, these are holes that you're not going to see the ocean, but, they're, 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 you've got to put the ball in the right spot to take advantage and the greens defend, like you said. And, um, I was, I was massively impressed, uh, by it. I, I don't spend a lot of time watching the pro-am uh, on TV just because it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of non-golf they show. Um, but getting a chance to kind of take that golf course in for a few days of championship golf, man, I was, I'm pumped for the U.S. Open. I think it's going to be so awesome. Yeah. The, the pebble is like overrated take is, is so overblown. Like, exactly it's like in it's in this tier of golf courses like i I don't think about like numbers but rather like classes and it's like pebble is the golf course that you get on a plane and go play you know like if somebody says hey we got a spot at pebble and you don't have to pay like i'm getting on a plane tomorrow to go play absolutely absolutely there's you know there's 
six or seven holes at Pebble that are are basically untouched. You know, there there there's nothing that can really touch them, and uh, and that's what makes it fun. Also, the new tee on ten is awesome. Yes. I hope they play the new tee, tee the new tee on ten at, at the US Open. I bet they don't, but I wish they would. They have that one on nine too. That's way down to the right, I think. I uh, I, I don't know if they used it last week, but yeah, it's, it, that stretch of holes is unbelievable. So it's like it's probably the best stretch of golf, and you know, and one of the best stretch of golf in North America. So uh, I had uh, KVV on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and we talked about uh, golf star and uh, what changes we would make to the game. If you were the golf star, what's the one change you'd make? Um, I would, um, I would, I would not be as, as afraid of match play, um, on the professional level as it seems like we are, I would say that would probably be my first thing. I would, I would, I would move the PJ championship to match play immediately. Um, I would probably make the tour championship match play. Yeah. Um, that should totally would, be match play. I mean, yeah, I was thinking about the playoffs cause I knew we were going to talk a little playoffs and match plays fear. It's, it's TV based of course, but you know, the match play fears you get. Uh, two guys that nobody cares about in the finals, and then you're going to get bad ratings. The funny thing is, like, the tour championships, 30 guys, and they're always pretty much 95% of guys you've heard of. I just don't understand what the fear is of that. You know, it seems like the easiest event to make match play is the tour championship. They're worried about, like, Satoshi Kodaira against uh, Siwoo Kim in the finals. But, but again, I mean, but that's you know i mean that's see the way him won the players like, i know, I mean, you know and he's 22 yeah it's like the fear again the golf to me the names are massively important we talked about tiger on friday at the u.s open and showing him was big for for golf and for the sport but you know when you're playing when you're watching anybody play for a ton of a life-changing amount of money even for these professionals and you're watching it in a match play format um, God, it would be so awesome. I mean, you look back, like, you know, the FedEx Cup playoffs when they first started, a little bit like the Pebble Take. It was easy to bag on them. Um, I flipped a little bit on them. You know, it's four weeks. Uh, I wish they didn't have the break. I wish it was just four straight because I think it should be a little bit of an endurance test as well. Um, but, you know, four weeks and all the big guys play for four straight weeks. And I'm not sure that happens at any other time on, on tour all year. And also, if you look back over the last few years, we've had some really fun finishes. I mean, Ryan Moore versus Rory was great. Uh, that was um, Zand- Xander term. was great. You know, I mean, Justin was close, and Jordan had a chance to maybe make it a Justin Jordan playoff for the FedEx Cup, which would have been would have been must watch. You know, it's 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 good. It's for what it's supposed to do. It's intriguing. I just think that if you made the Tour Championship match play, you get to that final with a lot more online than than anything else these guys see in that uh, in that world. Um, yeah, you could go to 32 guys instead of 16. Exactly. Or instead of 30. So you go 30. to 32, and then you take those 32, and it's 32, 16, 8, uh, 4, 2. So it'd be five rounds instead. Of, so it starts on like starts on Wednesday instead of uh, um, Thursday. Yeah, and, and and then you and then you you make you make the gaps of pay pretty wide for make it at the next day so like if you get to the final four the gap is is it's a big big jump it's not like everybody's cashing a ton of money you should make the gaps worthwhile Um, i mean not like these guys need the money anyway but at least it's something they think about in their heads but 
I don't know. That's something I would do. I, the, the professional world being afraid of match play is something that, that bothers me a little bit because it's something that match play is, in my opinion, the best way to golf. And, uh, yeah. and we as a people, for whatever reason, have we're like afraid of it. You know, it's like we have to turn in scores. We have to have a handicap. Um, match, I, yeah. I, would, I would say golf carts uh, in general, I would probably limit. Um, I, I just think, you know, it, if you want to have – golf carts at every course um you you probably shouldn't have a golf cart at any historic golf course and unless you know obviously someone needs it for for health reasons and um and i would just say you know walking is it, walking a golf course is a completely different experience and as long as it's not a million degrees it it makes the game and sport more enjoyable i really believe um I'm trying to think of what else. I would let the PJ Tour players wear shorts too. I don't understand why they have to wear pants. I don't you, really might, get that. you might get a personal call from Jeff Shackelford. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was that was one of my favorite things. I, I said something about the. Uh, I joked on that tweet about um, how the NBA players wear shorts in the finals and how that's disgraceful. Obviously, just kind of poking fun at Jeff, who I like a lot. Yeah. And um, I had four or five responses of people that were like, "That's not the same." And I was like. Yeah, you didn't get you didn't get my joke. I really, it's it's funny how Twitter sometimes you can't you can't totally pick up on it. Um, I'm trying to think of some other stuff that I would do. Um, I just I'm just at this camp that golf's fine, you know. Like like I think people that love golf love golf, you know, and people are eventually going to get to it. I, I've said this a lot, but we spent like the better part of the 2000s trying to get people that were like 16 years old interested in golf, and I'm like. They're going to eventually be 30, and they'll yeah. be looking for something to do. That's all my friends now are uh, play golf all the time on weekends, and they always want – I'm like, I, nah, I can't play. But, like, they all, like, love golf. And in love college, it. they all made fun of me for playing golf. Right. It, just, I just say wait. I mean, if we just wait a little bit, um, people eventually come to the sport. I, I, it, it's, it's, it's funny that, um, you know, we, we, we sold this bill of goods, like, golf's in trouble – and it's like, well, we build a whole bunch of golf courses, and a lot of them aren't very good, and they're expensive, and it takes forever to play. Those are the things that, to me, it's like, you know, you and I were, were having drinks, and we were talking about Winter Park in, in, uh, when we were in Chicago, and it's like, Winter Park's successful because of the business model. It's not because of anything other than the fact that it allows people to come out there any way they want for a relatively solid amount of money and enjoy themselves in their capacity. And it's not like, get here. And it's three hundred dollars, and you're on the tee now, and you've got to play it this fast, and you've got to get done, and we're going to yell at you, and then leave the property because that's the end of your day. You know, it's just to me, it's the business approach to it, and if you approach it with a little bit more of a relaxed um, kind of ideal, then I think it would work. I just, I mean, if if you want me to be the czar, I'd say build fifty winter parks in every state. You know, it's yeah. like allow people that opportunity to take in golf. Yeah, it's just different experience. I think uh, just in general. Yeah, I, I think golf, like golf needs to just appeal to like the diehard golfer because like the more somebody's friend loves golf, the more likely they're going to make their friends come golf with them. You know, they're going to keep yeah. talking about it until they try it, you know. And, and, and then they're going to want to check courses off their list and destinations and places to go and see this and experience that and um, you know, that's what, that's what my friends, my friends love of the game is not watching Jordan Spieth, no offense to Jordan Spieth. And it's not watching Phil Mickelson and it's not watching Dustin Johnson. You know, my friends love, my friends 
who are my best friends, their love of golf is, um, you know, I sent an email yesterday about our golf trip to Tubac, Arizona in early January. You know, that's why they love golf, you know, for the, for the three days they get to spend at a 27 hole facility that most people don't know much about just enjoying golf and the people around it. That's kind of what I talk about with the courses. You know, it's the experience of it as much as anything. And if you're having a fun experience and golf is involved, it's going to leave you with a good taste in your mouth, you know, and, it, and it's, that's, that's a pretty simple, um, you know, simple philosophy. I think that's why Bannon has always been so popular. You know, I think Bannon is so popular because yeah, it's a name and it's a resort name that people know and they could buy a shirt from and wear a logo. But I think the fact that when you're there, you a don't feel like you're intruding and B you have plenty of places to just enjoy yourself. If it's not, um, the preserve it's shorties or the driving range um, or the 19th hole or the kind of the different layouts of the pubs or it's going back to the cottage and just sitting down in a fairly relaxing chair that doesn't seem like it uh, cost a billion dollars and you just kind of <laughs> take in the weather. And, you know, that that is to me, it's, it's, a, it's a simple approach, sure. But, you know, you leave that place feeling good. Even if you play bad, you leave the place feeling good. Yeah, it's uh, and it's it's just it's uh, it's catered towards the 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 masses as opposed to you know the the one percent professional like the you know I'm not going to bag too much on TPC Network but you know the idea of playing a <laughs> golf course that's built for pros like as a 15 handicap is like that's just a preposterously dumb idea you know just go get your teeth kicked in for two hours or four hours so, five hours it's so funny. You and I talk about it a lot. It's so funny that, like, I mean, for decades, Andy, for decades, the only places you really went were these places that would beat the shit out of you. <laughs> You're like, hey, let's go on this golf trip to X place. And you go, and it's 7,400, and it's impossible, and two yards off the fairway is is you lose your ball, and you're like, I spent a lot of money on this trip. Yeah, and and it's just like the first reaction is hard. Like, I can't stand that. <laughs> like, it's, it's the worst thing in the world. Um, but uh, speaking of match play, Ryder Cup coming up. Who's winning? If you gun to your head today, who's, uh, who's your pick? Oh, man. I mean, I, I guess I'll go USA. I, I know it's been a long time. I, I think it's going to be more competitive than maybe some of my um, fellow golf journalism people believe it will be. I know there's been some people that are saying it's going to be an American route. I don't think it's ever going to be an American route when it's on uh, international soil. But uh, the, the, the American team is from 1 through 12 is silly good. I mean, and that is what you always see when it's competitive is who wins those matches or the guys that play you know one-team match and play singles. And when it comes down to that on Sunday in singles, when everybody's out on the golf course, I almost feel like there'll be four fairly assured points from the guys that are on the bottom part of the roster. Now, I mean, of course they could lose the match. Anybody could. But I feel like if you were going to look at that, that's where the handicap is on a very, very advantageous side for the Americans is the guys that are, that are just going to make the team, the guys that just qualified in, or the guys that have to be asked to play. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... The, the thing the internet the thing that, that Europe has that they can play the hand of if they do it the right way is basically just play their four best teams every time yeah. and I mean that'll be exhausting but I think that's probably their best play is to play the guys that are from the same countries that'll be excited to play together 
um, and almost uh, almost allow those teams to go out there until they lose, you know, and say, Rory, if you want to play with Ian Poulter like you did four years ago, y'all go play together, and y'all are the team that are going to play four matches, <laughs> and like that's how it's going to go down. And uh, same for Stinson and, and Norin, you know, if, if they if Stinson's on the team, it's like you two guys go play. I mean, you guys want to play together, y'all play. Y'all are going to be our our B team. And what about uh, Justin you know, Rose and Stinson? The Iceman and Rose, that's that's the, that's the team. Okay, well, that's what I'm saying. Is like yeah. whatever the team is, you go with. Like I think that because of this, because the Americans are better one through twelve. If I was the Europeans, I would probably just play the. I would probably just play our four best teams. Yeah, like Molinari's got to play every single every match. single match. Yeah, every match he's playing. He's like um, one of the three best players in the world right now. Yeah, and like, and like, you know, I mean, like John Rom, who hasn't had as good a year as he's had in, in years past, but you know, Rom's got to find somebody he's going to be excited to play with, and like, you're going to have to roll these big name players out a lot. And uh, Rom, you know, should, Rom should play with Sevi. You know, bring him because he's <laughs> idolized like any Spanish player, any Spanish player that's ever played. It's uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, who is is it going to be? Rom and Sergio? I mean. I guess I don't know if Sergio's even making the team. They'll probably get him on. They the have team. to put him on, right? They ha- yeah, I think so. Like that's the thing is like Stenson, Sergio, Poulter's going to have to be a pick now. Poulter is like a lock, right? For sure. And then so, you know Sergio and Stenson are outside. You know Cabrera Bayo. Okay, Shane Ryan. I think Shane Ryan wrote this, but like. What's wrong with me wanting to root for the Europeans? Because I kind of do want to root for the Europeans. I kind of am rooting for the Europeans also. I kind of want, I mean, like, I feel like it's become such a popular opinion, like, the American team's going to roll. And it's, like, all, like, the perfectly cookie-cutter players that are, like, massively successful, like Jordan and Justin and Brooks and all these guys that are, like, they're, like, perfect in golf. And I feel like it's almost flipped where it was, like, that was the team for the Europeans for so long, and we'd roll out these guys, and you'd be like, maybe they have a chance, even though you knew they probably didn't really have a chance. And um, I'll say, you know, with us covering these team events, I think that the team events are the, the, the easiest events to predict by looking at the teams on or looking at the players on paper. You know, like we had the Walker Cup last year. And there was no doubt in my mind the Americans were going to kill them. Oh, and they did. And the Curtis Cup this year, there was no doubt in my mind the Americans were going to win when you just look at the players. I, I, you know, I think the European team has better personalities. Agreed. You know, they have, they have Poulter. They have McElroy. They've got, you know, like Fleetwood is like, I think, impossible to root against. He's like, how do you, how do you root against him? Yeah, he's going to be a superstar. I, I think Norrin's a, a good dude, you know, like to root for. I don't know. I just think they have like a more, like, you know, Webb and Bubba don't really do it for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, like, like, I don't have an, I don't right. have an opinion really, you know? Right. I mean, like, I love watching Ricky Fowler play golf. I do. I really enjoy watching Ricky play golf, but it's not like, you know, I, like he's not going to be out on the course during the Ryder Cup, like running around high fiving like Sergio in 99. Yeah. You know, like it's like I know what I'm getting with most of the guys on the American side. 
Yeah, th- that's the thing. Is like there's more personality on the on the European team. That's why they're um, more. Why I feel like I want to root for them more. Um, I, I I just like I, I guess <laughs> like my American allegiance. It's like I don't. If there's if there's a thing, it's like I kind of think about it in the Olympics a lot. I'm always like I'm rooting for this American speed stater, and there's this guy from. Belgium that's going to win like one of three winter Olympic medals for his entire country. Like, why don't I want that guy to win? (laughs) That's this guy's going to like change his entire life for the rest of his life. if He wins. And like the American person with no personality wins. And you're like, sweet. You know, you're, you're another American that was successful. I don't know. I, there's times where I sometimes I'm like, I'm rooting for the underdog. I really like the underdog. That's a good point because like a, a gold medal at a small, in a small country is so much more significant than a gold medal in the U.S. because we ha- we get like a hundred gold medalists uh, per Olympics. Every Olympics. Yes. Uh... And there's and there's three that there's three Olympians every time that are like the ones that make the Wheaties box. And then other than that, you're like, oh, that, that American team won the luge. Awesome, sweet. And then you change the channel and you have no idea who the names were. You know, for the most part. Um, I that's kind of my Molinari thing. When so many people were bummed out on social media because Tiger didn't win the British. And I was like, yo, this guy is the first player from Italy ever to win a major. Like, this is unbelievable for their country and for golf there for the next 200 years. And we're like, well, if Tiger didn't get 15. <laughs> not, to, not to mention the manner he did it in. Like right, Tiger made Tiger. the ch- charge. Like I, I remember I tweeted something and like it was like on hole seven. I was like, I think Molinari is the only guy that can ruin this for us, you know. And like so many people were like, oh, what about Rory? What about like you could just see Molinari just was playing perfect golf, you know? Yeah. Like he he won because he just outplayed everybody else. That's the it, thing. It's 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 silly, but no, I I, I I'm really excited about the Ryder Cup. I'm really excited to see what transpires and my hope to ho- all hopes is that it's not a complete blowout because we don't get these things much. We don't, we don't get these things in professional golf that like peak everybody's interests much, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, the other thing I'm excited to see French fans, like what, what's the French golf turnout going to be like? And what are, are they going to be polite? <laughs> are they going to be really rude? Like, are we going to get, like, Baba Booey in French? Oh, I wonder what it is. Have you Google translated it yet? No, no. <laughs> I just <laughs> thought of this. We should figure We should figure this out. We should actually... Is Victor should... Dubuisson going to just run out onto the course? <laughs> <laughs> I should have made it. Um, or is, there's got to be a phrase that French golfers yell, and we should figure out what that is. Yeah, I mean, get some T-shirts, you know? That's I'm mean, walking around <laughs> with it all in Chicago and end of September. So, I love it. I think uh, it's a great business idea. So, hey, uh, the two are, you, we were talking about all these young guys uh, earlier. What's going to happen as this trend? I, I don't think it's slowing down. I, I think you agree. It's, not slow, it's just going to get younger, right? Right. What happens to all the 40-year-olds? I think the Champions Tour might move to 45. And this is without any inside information. I, I could see it going to 45. Uh, one of my con- then, contributors wrote boosts, this article that, that I'm going to post soon. And it's like the median age has dropped four years in the last you know 20 years of, of pro golfers. 
Well, you know, I, I wrote, um, and this was, this was when I wrote, this was probably three or four years ago, four or five years ago. And I wrote, I did the math for like the last 10 majors and the average age of major winner was 33. And that's obviously not the case now, you know, I mean, Kepka and Spieth and JT and these guys, like you're going to see a t- teenager win a major, um, soon you're going to see, I mean, like an 18 year old. I mean, you know, we talked about Neiman. I mean, he could win a major and nobody would bat an eye at all, but I don't know. I mean, I, it's, you know, what's funny is you, funny. You asked this question. I was at the USA amateur and then I'm reading the match and I'm, I'm got this, I'm like super in on amateur golf right now. Like I'm like, I'm like as high on the cloud of amateur golf as I've ever been in my life. And I was thinking about, I was like, I'm going to really start to try to work on my game. And I want to like, start playing in these amateur events. Like I want to play, but not just the US amateur, the mid am. I want to play in these other amateur events too. And then I was like, thought to myself, I'm like, I'm 34. Like these guys are like 17. Like I can't play against these guys. You got to get on the cocktail circuit, man. You got to get well, in the mid am circuit. No, I know, but <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I was like, I, this is a, this is an unrealistic thing for me to think about. You know, like we never at the US amateur ever, ever, See somebody thirty four in the in the quarterfinals. That's the sh- but that's the shame is there used to be like Nathan Smith and Mike McCoy. Yeah, I mean Buddy Marucci played Tiger in nineteen ninety five in the finals, and then he made it to the semifinals the next year. Yeah, I mean that's unbelievable. These these like lifelong amateurs. Stuart Hagestead makes it to the round of thirty two, and it's like this story. Yeah, and he's twenty eight. You know. Yeah, like twenty eight. It's like a miracle. And, um, I don't even think he's 20. I think he's like 27, 20. Yeah, he probably is 28. You're probably right. Um, I think I remember it from our bio sheets. I'm sure he'll text me if I'm wrong on this. Thing. I know but, he will text um, both of us. But yes, it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So I have a question and this is the one thing I don't really get. Why are they so much better? Why are these young kids so much better at golf? I have this theory, like me and you, we grew up with, uh, I mean, what was your first set of clubs? Like mine was like Tommy Armour, 845s. And I remember playing like Slazenger golf balls. Yeah, I was my first full set of adult clubs were top flight Magnus. Um, oh, I remember the, those. The glo- yeah, the globe in the middle of the ball <laughs> that would actually imprint on a ballata if you hit it solidly. Um, and uh, so there was a globe in the middle of the ball where your grooves were supposed to be. <laughs> This is, this is a pretty interesting approach to an interesting approach to the sweet spot there, top flight. And um, how far did you hit it when you were like fourteen? When you got into oh, high school, nowhere. <laughs> See, this is the difference. Like we I hit nowhere. We had these balls that didn't go anywhere. They went like they sliced like crap. Like you know, you could hit a big slice, seventy yard slice, <laughs> yeah. and they went nowhere. And it was like. And it was like, you know, pro, the other thing was like instructors would just guess, you know? <laughs> like, You're going to love these. Yeah. Oh, and, and they'd be like, oh, like, you know, you need to do this with your swing. Like there was no numbers behind. Like, I just think that we live in this era where like you literally can't miss. Right. Like well, I swing it's... so hard at the ball now compared to the way I used to swing. Right. Like you had to manufacture golf shots. And you know what's funny is... Um, do you like? I was watching the '99 Ryder Cup the other day, and Miguel Jimenez hits this foul ball during play that's 
50 yards left of everything. And it went, went about knee high. And then I always think about stuff like uh, Palmer and Norman on 18 at the Masters hitting these shots 30 yards right of the green. It's yeah. like nobody does that. Like Jordan Spieth hit that shot when he won the Masters on 18 on Saturday, and it was like 15 yards over the green. And that was like the worst shot he hit all week. It's 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 fascinating. Yeah, the foul balls don't exist anymore as much. Like you know, like you can neck the crap out of a driver today, and it just like goes straight. And if it's firm and fast, it'll roll like forever. I mean, Rory won the PGA doing that with his three wood. Yeah, he necked that shot on ten, and it rolled up there to like twelve feet for eagle. And I was like, that wasn't a good golf shot, but it turned out okay. So my my theory is is that like I like. I grew up with this, like, DJ's the only good golfer in our age bracket. Like, great golfer. <laughs> right. Like, he's the only one. Everyone else is younger or older, like Justin Rose age, which is, like, 38, 39. Like, there's this gap of people that we, like, when we were in college and the Pro V1, like, was really hitting the prime and technology was developing, the high school kids were better than us. I mean, so you're saying that we had to live through the transition time between yeah. the like the wound and the new age ball, and because of that, we lost like two years of knowing how to play. Like we essentially just were worse because we had to like <laughs> we had to like learn a new golf swing. Like my golf swing today is so much different. Like you know, like it, it, all you do is hit up on the ball with the driver. Try to yeah, I just try to. And right. it, it goes, you know, it takes all the spin off and the ball goes really far and straight. And it's like the the golf swing, these kids just learned like they know they don't know what a miss is. That's They've like, never missed a ball. And they know exactly what everything goes. I mean, again, like this is kids of privilege. Like if you're a kid that like can go to these instructors and go to these places where they'll show you this stuff, like you know, like I still don't know how far I hit an eight iron. No. Like, but the, these kids know exactly how far they hit an eight iron. The other thing is when we were in high school, we played all these different sports. Like these kids play one sport now. Right. It's all specialized. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I just, I find it, I find it massively fascinating to me that I understand that golf is younger. I have a hard time understanding why they're so much better. And this is, this is, this is some good points because I think about that a lot. Like, like, why were these other people able to compete? And why can't there be a 35-year-old that competes at the U.S. Amateur? And I always want, every single year I have this hope. I'm like, this year is going to be the year. You know, this year there's going to be a 34-year-old guy that comes out here and plays some great golf and wins a couple of matches. And he's in the semifinals. And we're like, here's this 35-year-old that's, you know, that has a he has an accounting gig for KPMG. And, you know, he played golf at tallahassee state and that's never happens see they that's the case they should just you know give give me an auto birth into the sweet 16 you know just make somebody force somebody into the sweet 16 you you wouldn't make our tv window if you lose nine and eight to cool hammer <laughs> i know that's the reality <laughs> you're out early they're like well he didn't make the window hey maybe it's they don't get it you don't get a warm-up you know, no, no warm up. You, you got to play like a true mid am. Put your shoes on and go to walk to the first tee. Bruce, and there's no, style. there's no locker. I, I like this. I actually, I think this is what the mid am should do. The yeah. mid am should approach it exactly like we really do play golf. <laughs> it's like, 
oh, oh, you want to, you want to, you want to range, you want a bucket of range balls? Here's, here's 12 balls that have stripes on them and they fly this distance, maybe. That's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's funny. I, uh, I think that, that would be, that would work. I had like a weird golf, uh, thing the other day where Wait, I had, you had something weird about golf. I can't believe it. No, I, I bet I, you had a with the weird theory. I, I, re- I had this realization. Like I, I played less golf this year than any year in my my like last um, ten. Same, same. Personally, same exact thing. So like now when I play, I go out and I like literally just like play for myself to scrape the ball around. So I like just hit it into the centers of greens, right? And like, right. I, I, I swung really well on like the fourth hole, and I realized like, oh, I got full control today. I can like really do whatever I want. Like I can hit shots. Like I, it's like I've, you know, it's like the one time a year that I'll have this, you know. And then oh. this course just ejected me because I was playing aggressive instead of just my my straight to the middle of the green. There's nothing better for people like you and I, who again, you and I get to play more golf than most people. But like a 34 year old buddy of mine, like there's nothing better than when you go out with them and they haven't played in two months or three months. And you see, like, on the seventh green, they hit a shot. And you can almost see in their face, like, they kind of have figured it out again. Yeah. You know, and then for, like, three or four holes, they hit it pretty good. And then, of course, it goes away. But I always love that, like, moment of realization where you're, like, kind of holding the club. And you're like, oh, you know, I think I got it. I, I went on a stretch a couple of years ago where I was playing some of the best golf of my life. And my only swing thought was get it all the way to the top for like two months. And I hit it great. And then of course I stopped thinking like that and then started hitting it like a dog. It's, it's funny. I, I, I sing the song comfortably numb when you I told me this before you I told me this, yeah. by the way, it's, it's unbelievable. It's been a, it's been an unbelievable, like awakening experience. It's, it's, it's actually helped my golf game quite a bit, but like, I'm always <laughs> so relaxed when I hit the golf ball. It's like this comfort thing. I don't know. Golf is just, it's all mental. The less I play, the better I get. I think I, I'm I'm I'm, abs- I'm absolutely the same way. The, the the if I play minimal amounts of golf, I play fifty times better. Um, and that's just kind of how it is, you know. I mean, just I don't really know what else what else to say about it. I think that means we're probably pretty psycho, you know. Yeah, that means we get in our own way, 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 way too much on the golf course. Um, all right, overrated, underrated. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Desert golf. This from a bunch of people. Um, I would say it's. Uh, um, I, I mean, I living out in Arizona. I would say overrated um, for the golf. It's it's underrated for the pictures because it's very beautiful. But I don't personally love desert golf. I'd rather play any other type. Yeah, I haven't. I've only been to Arizona once. I got to go this year. <laughs> I've been I mean, come out. <laughs> neglecting. If, if you, the problem is, is if, if you come out, we'll play Phoenix Country Club, which is going to be not desert. We'll probably play Pinnacle Peak, which will be not desert. <laughs> we'll play like three of these courses and like you you won't have seen a, a Gila monster yet. You'll be like, what's happening here? And then before I take you to, you know, but like, like I go play Wicopa Suoro and I have a great time because it's, it's more playable. It's a little mm-hmm. bit wider fairways. They cleared three or four yards off the rough, uh, excuse me, off the desert when you miss it. And you can actually find your ball. You might not be able to play it, but at least you could find your ball and throw back and kind of as a lazy lateral. And um, and yeah, that's a. By the way, the the golf rules are a thing. You asked me one thing. I would say is 
for everybody not playing in a tournament, there's no out of bounds. Just drop oh it. God. If you can't find your ball, just drop it. Let's go. The, the lazy lateral is the best, like full time leaf rule. If you're not playing in a tournament, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Let's go. I I said one time I said something on social media a couple like a year or two ago about like pick up, you know, drop your ball or something. I had a whole bunch of like super serious golf people like that's not the rules, and I was like, well, then I don't want to play golf with you. Like, I mean, I don't want you to be out there grinding your tail off if we've got four hours to get around on a Thursday afternoon. Anyway. Sorry, that, that was a tangent. We can go back. That's no, okay. Yeah, the rules are overrated. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, Alex War, eighteen hole USGA qualifiers. So that's what he asked. Eighteen hole USGA qualifiers. Overrated, um, underrated. I would say, I would say, underrated. Um, I think uh, thirty six is too much. Just do eighteen. I hate eighteen. You like thirty six? Well, I just, I just think that it's all chance at eighteen. You know, like here, the thing I always, I, I like that, playing that's good for me. I want the chance. I don't want to have to go back out in the afternoon if I actually play a good round. My, my like favorite tournament of the year that I actually play in usually is like the state am. I, I haven't, I didn't play this year cause I just don't have the time, but it's, I like it because like the, I don't feel like I have to like, you know, like if I make a six, I'm okay. You know, I know. Yeah, like I got all this time. I got time to work it. Like you're building like a foundation of the house instead of like just like it's just a sprint. You know. (laughs) But I don't like thirty six. The longer it goes, the worse it is for my golf game. So I I prefer anything on the shorter end. All right. Um. Next. Next one. Your hat collection. Um. I, I would say probably overrated. Um. I uh. I have a I have a lot of really good golf hats. I also have a lot of really not great golf hats, um, and I also in my collection have um, an assortment of non golf hats. Uh, but how many do you I've, have? I've, I've probably got fifty awesome golf hats. What's your um, what What's your like storage situation? I've I've got a little problem right now. My my wife's been on my ass about it. Yeah, so I have um, – this is kind of funny. I have like where I do my podcast from, it's it's a room in our house that's my golf room. So this is a room of just golf shit, um, clubs, hats, shoes, and then my little podcast studio's in there. Um, the closet has jackets and golf balls and all that crap. Um, so she doesn't go in – I mean, my wife doesn't go in there. I mean, she doesn't open the door. Um, it's like that closet in Friends that Monica had locked, like – she will not go in that room to save her life because she knows that it's just my just over obsessive, stupid, overflowed hat situation. And she'd prefer not to go in there and see it because she's very, very clean and organized. So that's the good thing is I can keep it kind of off eyes for most people. All right. That's, I, I need to, I need a golf room. I need to get one more room in our place. <laughs> build, you build on a golf room. Your wife's like leaves you. She's like, no, we're not doing this. Yeah, I don't think she would let me do it either way. It would still have to be specked out to her, <laughs> her, her aesthetics. All right, uh, I'm, I'm hoping you can give me a good answer here. It's failed miserably every time I ask this. Uh, any sort of music question, overrated, underrated. We're going to go with Tom Petty. Oh man, I think I'm gonna go overrated. Huh? Interesting. What would you go? I don't know. <laughs> That's why I asked. I asked well, the question to you. I would say that <laughs> Tom Petty 
has for the general public three songs that people know is that would that be fair yeah like last dance uh i mean there yeah he's got probably three learning to fly american girl yeah probably three maybe four so th- three songs that people know and then most of his good stuff is the things nobody knows i always kind of think about music like this if i want to listen to music by myself then i can listen to whatever i want but if i'm going to like put a record on or something and it's Tom Petty, I'm going to be told to change it probably within 10 minutes of people being like at my house. They'll be like, can we put something else on? Um, so, sorry, Tom Petty. See, I, I disagree. I think you could listen to Tom Petty any kind of mood. You could be hanging out. I, maybe not partying. That's a, There are certain songs like that, that electric feel, you know that song? MGM. Right. Like, you could listen to that song in any setting. Like, you know, I could start to. <laughs> I like how you just you just compared Tom Petty to what is it MGMT? Yeah, well, he could listen. To, like I could replace "Comfortably Numb" <laughs> with that song, and I'd be fine. But you could be out at like the bar, like partying, and that song comes on, and you just like everybody starts beating their head to it. You're right. Tom, you're, Pe- you're... Tom Petty has a lot of versatility, so he's underrated. Okay. Like, you can't put Led Zeppelin on. No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's like, you gotta be, there's certain bands you gotta be in the right mood. And this. So, what, you, what is your music, like, what's your go to music on the golf course? I, it just depends. It all depends on what my mood's been lately. Sometimes you know, I, I can listen you, to all genres of music. I have a rule on music on a golf course. I always tell people, like, if I'm riding in a cart, like if I'm playing in, a, in something with a cart, I always tell whoever's riding with me, they can pick the, the artist. Like I'm like, you pick the artist and I'll put the music on. So I allow the person that's with me to have the music choice so they're comfortable because I'll listen to anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've, I've basically completely moved away from any sort of hip hop or rap on the golf course because it's just a little too inappropriate in case you run into somebody on another hole. Um, I always hate having to turn the music down because I'm nervous they're going to say a word the person wouldn't be comfortable hearing. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I, uh, you know, I could do country. I could do classic rock. Classic rock's like usually what if I was going to put music on on the course, I would put classic rock on. Like, are you not a music on the golf course guy? I, I no, I I am. I had like the speaker. I lost it though. It all depends. I I like listen. Like if I'm playing by myself, I'll listen to music for sure. For sure. You know, like. It, it all depends. It's all circumstantial. I like love listening to music. I'm a huge music fan. I, I love golfing. Like it's two of my favorite things. One of my f- most memorable rounds of golf in my life ever happened the one time I was in Arizona. And it was at Talking Stick. They had that music festival going on at Talking Stick. You know that thing? And you could, yeah, yeah. And you could, you could I was, you hear all the music the whole round? Yeah, I was playing. It was like sun, the sun was coming coming down. And I was listening to like a band that I really liked, and they were playing. They were, I was listening to them play their concert while I was playing Talking Sick. It was like a spiritual experience. There's a. There, I did that, and we we had that um, in New Orleans. Um, they say that there's a what's the golf course? They say when the music festival, the big music festival, comes to New Orleans, which I mean, there's probably a music festival every week. But they say there's a course there that you can Audubon hear. Park. No, it's not Audubon because it's right there in the middle. It's one of the ones outside that actually got washed out. I should probably know the name of it. But 
they said that it um you could hear the music clearly the entire round of golf and i was like that sounds like something i'd be very interested in being a part of There's, there should be a golf course that has like a music festival on it yeah just in the middle of it while you play yeah that would be sick i'd pay 300 for that ticket that'd be so cool why don't we have this why don't we organize this <laughs> just get like three bands and, you know it's like yeah iration we'll get my iration this could be our golf event is we just like we have three bands that are just going to be playing music all day and you play your play your golf yeah with the yeah and you just find a course that's got like a big open space in the middle of it i mean i think this is i think you're on to something yeah well, it just solved you know big best golf event of the year all right i'm gonna <laughs> let you go we've we've talked for way too long and i hope that some poor soul isn't listening at this point <laughs> your yours tend to go long but um I can I can stick around for a good amount of them. Um, a pleasure. I always uh, always love getting a chance to chat with you. I uh, what do you, you got anything coming up? Um, I'm doing PJ Tour Live. I've got a golf trip to Michigan with three buddies. After Where are you that. going? Um, we're gonna do the Loop. Um, we're gonna do. Uh, I don't really know. I don't, honestly, can I tell you this? I don't really know what my itinerary is. The um, Loop's sick. But uh, what it's like. Three of my best friends and myself are going up there, um, and uh, and we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do I think we're doing four or five days of golf. Are we? Is there a place that we need to play? You should try and try and play uh, Belvedere in Charlevoix. Is it awesome? Yeah, super. It's under the radar, semi private, but they allow it, public. It's called Belvedere. Like yeah, it's the, a like Willie Watson. Yeah, it's a Willie Watson course. Um, let me tell you, let me tell you where I'm going to tell you where we're playing right now. Just so you can tell me if it's, if we're doing it right. Have you played Bay Harbor? Yeah. Do you like it? It's cool. I mean, it's like right on the water. Uh, play, I'm playing Belvedere. Belvedere's on there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, Impressive. I'm playing, I'm playing the loop. And Forest Dunes probably too. I'm playing Forest Dunes. I'm playing Boyne Highlands. All right. I played at AJGA there back in the and, day. And Kingsley Club. Oh, Kingsley Club's awesome. That's where I got ejected when I started hitting the ball good because I started going at too many flags. That place is cool. So that's a good it's a good lineup. Are you excited yeah. about it? Great lineup. Yeah. You got and good then we're gonna have to go to Texas because I've had I've had more people from my hometown in a day of Twitter interaction send me stuff than at almost any time in my career. Are you really gonna come? Are we gonna play here? You should play here. Have you been here? Have you thought about this place? Yeah. <laughs> I know we got to do the we got to do the the I can't even remember what I called it pine, explorations pine explorations explorations <laughs> we'll do pine dunes Texarkana Country Club we'll, we'll I'll take you to Marshall Lakeside Country Club which is where I grew up it's a nine hole course um, I would love to hear your architectural uh, uh, talk on it um, and then we'll go I'll take you to this place in Shreveport Louisiana called Herbie K's for dinner and they have this thing called the Shrimp Buster. That's pounded fried shrimp and a huge cold beer and a souffle. Sounds great. And uh, and then we'll uh, maybe we'll play Southern Trace and we'll go play Dallas. Yeah. All right. I just got to block a week off. I've already got people. I've already my dad, who you've met, is in. He's all excited already. Porter um, wants in. Porter's gonna be in. <laughs> yeah. So Porter's got like thirteen kids. I'm not I sure know. if he can make it, but I'd he, love if he does. He he can't make it, you know. He, he's gonna, 
We got it. We'd have to get an Oklahoma State legend to join, and then he would be there in a second. He's yeah, exactly. He, 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 you know what? We'll get uh, we'll get our boy. We'll get Victor to come play. Yeah, Victor or uh, yeah, just some some. We gotta get somebody from. I remember he was doing a podcast with Tony Allen when I saw him at Trinity Forest. I was talking to. Him. He's like, I got Tony Allen coming. I'm like, Tony Allen. He's a Chicago guy, but he's Oklahoma State legend. Love it. I love it. Um, well, thanks for having me on.